glad for that Savior. Amen. Uh, just a reminder, September 1st, Kat talked about Neighbor Day. Everybody say Neighbor Day. So I want to challenge you to invite your neighbor. So the next question is, well, who is my neighbor? Well, it's the person across the street. It's the person across town. It's a person across the city. And it's the person across the country. So just invite everybody. Somebody say, invite everybody. All right. I want to uh, start the message today with this illustration. Hello, Lord. It's me, James. It's, you, you know, your favorite. I know you're glad to see me. Um, I just want to start out by thanking you for all the blessings that you, well, first of all, thank you for um, giving me these rugged good looks and uh, you know, this amazing physique. God, I can never thank you enough. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm really a good person, God. And, you know, just the other day, uh, you, you remember, you know, I saw the elder lady trying to cross the street. And what did I do? I stood on the corner and I encouraged her. You know, she could do it. You can do it. You can do it. So yes, God, I am. I'm a good person. But God, I pay my tithes. Uh, I do everything that you require. And uh, you know, if if you were here, I know you'd give me high fives. Um, but oh, oh, look at this young lady. God, I thank you that I, I don't have to shed tears. I mean, I'm such a, a perfect person, and I thank you for that, God. Appreciate it. God, I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. I'm not worthy. I love you, Jesus. Good job. So I want to speak to you today on this topic. You can tell it's a long message. <laughs> I am so proud to be humble. Everybody say that with me. I am so proud to be humble. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke 18, 10 to 14. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We just ask you, God, to meet with us today and speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So I am so proud to be humble is kind of a oxymoron thank you i was trying to remember that word and ox it it, it <clears throat> how many of you have dealt with pride anybody in here ever dealt with pride no not me i'm i'm too proud to be prideful i mean i'm too humble <laughs> okay yeah it, it's something that we all wrestle with at some time or another matter of fact when i was studying this talking to Debbie about it, she reminded me of her struggle in the early part of our lives. So I've got her permission to use this. You see, when we first met each other, she 
was enraptured with me and <laughs> and my baby blue Jeep. Everybody say baby blue Jeep. And then after we got married, reality hit. I couldn't afford her and the Jeep. <laughs> so I got rid of the Jeep and kept her. So she went from a baby blue Jeep to a pukey tan Nova. Now, let me explain something about this Nova. This Nova had its own characteristics about it. She, she struggled with this Nova. It, it wouldn't stop running. I'd pull up to a place and go to shut the car off, and it would go, I'd have to turn the key back on, and I'd rev it up, and they used to, her dad used to set up and wait for me to come in from work at midnight so he could hear me go through this ritual. And so I'd, I'd rev it up, and it, uh, you know, I'd and shut it off. God is my witness. I did this one day. I got out, and I didn't rev it up. I got out, and it just kept running. I, I get out of the car. I'm walking around the car and get in front of the car going to the store. There's a guy that had just stopped. He got out. He's looking at the car, man, and he's looking at me. The car keeps going, ka 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 ka, -ka. I walked around to it, and when I got right in front of it, the thing goes, ka 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 ka, -ka. He looked at me, and I said, this car runs so good, it just don't want to stop. <laughs> So it was, it was a struggle for her. She, she was used to a brand new Jeep that had pinstripes on it. And, it was, and we'd, we'd take the top off of that because she wanted everybody to see her. I'd take her to school in it. When the Nova came into our lives, she took the bus to school. God is my witness, man. She, she would come in. She was so dejected when she'd miss the bus. She'd come in, I missed the bus. She would hide in the floorboard of the car whenever anybody came around. I thought, what are you doing? It's, I'm just trying to find something down here. She wasn't trying to find nothing, man. She was hid down in the floorboard of that car. She said, I, I take her to school one morning. She missed, but I take her to school. She says, just drop me off back here, way back here. I'm thinking, that's not the way you acted when I had that Jeep. So I, I, you know, being the heartwarming person and understanding individual that I am, I drove right up to the door and honked my horn. <laughs> she couldn't believe it. I can't believe it. And she got out and I guarantee you she didn't miss the bus very much. <laughs> it was a struggle for her. It was it, that, that, that there were things about that car that was unique to the car. It would not start if you were sitting on the seat. God is my witness. I had somebody work on it. I don't know what they did to it. But as long as you were sitting on the seat, it would not start. I'd have to lift myself up off the seat with a steering wheel, and it would start. So her dad gets in the car with me, and he's a big guy, and he's a little bit too heavy for the seat. So I'm lifting up, and it won't start. And I looked over at him. I said, I need you to get up off your seat. He said, you need what? I said, the car won't start as long as you're sitting on the seat. I said, raise up a little bit. He looked at me and he said, are you kidding? I said, no, just raise up a little bit off the seat. So I'm like this, you know, trying to hold myself up. He raises up in the car, room, you know, and he's laughing his head off. He can't believe it. If you, and then after it got started, if you lifted yourself up off the seat after it started, it sounded like the flywheel was coming out of that thing. It'd go, <laughs> I was in a drive-thru at Burger King, and the lady told me how much it was. I, I lifted myself up just to get to my wallet, and it sounded like the car was going to fly apart. She's looking like this out the window at me. And challenge it. Pride. Everybody say pride. That's the best running car I ever had. I paid $500 for that car, put 30,000 miles on it, and sold it for 275 dollars that was some inexpensive transportation, but it, it had minor flaws. You know, there, there, I remember Debbie was complaining about the headliner hanging down. She's sitting there saying, that headliner's hanging down. You know, apparently it lost its, we're driving down the road. She'd been complaining about that headliner laying down. So I just looked up at it, reached up and started ripping it off. All these old dead spiders start falling in her hair. You know, oh, Rick, I can't believe you. <laughs> I didn't know all that stuff was up underneath that, honey. I'm sorry. 
Then we get a call. These are all true stories. I'm not making any of this stuff up. We get a call, and a lady in church needs a ride. They want us to pick her up. We can't pick her up in this car. We can't. You know what she did? She goes out. She gets a can of paint, gets inside the car, and is painting the ceiling in our car. She did a pretty good job on it. It looked pretty clean. Then the lady called and said she wasn't coming to church after all. So. Pride. We wrestle with it in some form or another. We struggle with it. But there's something about pride that's far more sinister than these cute stories let on. As a matter of fact, the scriptures I'm going to share with you today, in each of these scriptures, pride comes from a different word. We have one word, we call pride, and, but the way the scripture describes it, it describes it with various words to depict what pride is like. But no matter, the word, no matter what the word is, God's response is the same. He hates pride. Everybody say it with me. He hates pride. Have you ever been around someone that was arrogant? Have you ever been someone that was arrogant? Because I'm going to leave for your consideration that probably at some point in all of our lives, we've tasted pride. Whether it was we won a, you know, an award for our... Uh, spelling bee contest or an art. I, I could never win an art award. Debbie won art awards. I could never win an art award. I used to con my art teacher into doing my work. So how'd you do that, Pastor? I told her, I said, don't you need an example? Don't you want to be able to show the class what you're talking about? I'm willing to let you do it with mine. And she did on several occasions. She used mine, and so I was done. But we all struggle at some level or at some point in our lives with this. And here's the thing. How many, I'm not asking you to raise your hand on this, but let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever recognized pride in yourself and asked God to get rid of it? You don't know how many times I've prayed and asked God to keep me from pride because pride will cost you like you cannot imagine. Let me try and build this and let you get a glimpse of how God views pride. In Psalms 101 in verse 5, this is the Amplified, it says, Whoever, whosoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will silence. This is God speaking. Him I will silence. The one who has a haughty look and proud, arrogant heart, I will not tolerate. That's God speaking. He said, I will not tolerate it. The word pride there comes from a Hebrew word, rakab, which means roomy in every direction, broad, large, and wide. Let me break it down for you. No matter which way you look, it's all about me. That's what pride is. Pride makes room for itself. It's all about me. And how many of you know that when it's all about you, you just made yourself an idol? So it can't be about you. You remember the old show, Happy Days? Pride. The first thing came out of Debbie's mouth was Fonzie. Hey. I mean, how many of you get up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, shove your comb back in your pocket. I look in the mirror and go, ha! When all of a sudden it's all about you, the thing that you have to realize is you've just taken the focus completely off of God. Pride. In Psalms 138 and 6, he says he keeps his distance from the proud. In Proverbs 15 and 25, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud. In Proverbs 16 and 5 in the Amplified, everyone who is proud and arrogant in heart is disgusting and exceedingly offensive to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. I mean, this is, this is some serious stuff. 
And I think sometimes we don't, we don't really think about it because what God is doing is God is interested in the character of our heart. And if pride gets in, and sometimes pride takes a, it disguises itself this way. Well, you know, I mean, God can't use me. I, you know, he can't use me. That's still pride. Because what it's doing is it's still focusing on you. And, so, and we don't even recognize it. I, I, I used to be guilty of that. I think, well, God, you can't, you can't do this and you can't do that. And it, it dawned on me, I'm telling God that he's not big enough to use me. Now, how many of you know that God's big enough to do whatever God wants to do? So you can't, you can't use that as an excuse. Look at the two people that started out to use that, and they changed it real quick. Jeremiah said, I can't speak. I can't go. I'm a child. And God spoke to him, and he said, you don't say you're a child. While you were in your mother's womb, I knew you and ordained you to be a prophet of the nations. Jeremiah got up and started prophesying. Isaiah said, I'm, I'm, of, I'm woe unto me. I'm of unclean lips, and I'm from a people of unclean lips and he spoke to him and, and he took a coal off of the, the, the altar, a fiery coal, put it on his lips and Isaiah no longer said, you know, when the Lord was saying, who will I send and who will go for us? Isaiah no longer used an excuse, but he said, here I am, God, send me. How many of you know that God wants to move you to that place of ministry? where all of a sudden ministry doesn't happen behind here. I'm your cheerleader. I'm the guy that tries to encourage you and strengthen you and give you word. But ministry happens out there. Ministry's all about you. The pastor, the, the, the five-fold ministry was just to equip the saints for what? So they could minister where? To the world. God has a great calling on your life, but he wants to raise you up to a point where you begin to believe that he's big enough to do what he said he was going to do. But if the focus stays on us, we're always going to obscure that vision. In Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. Now look, he says six things the Lord hates, and number one on the list, everybody say number one, is what? A proud look. Everybody say pride. I wanted to, I, I started to pull a clip up, but I used one last week, so I, I try to be different. But I, I, wanted to, I, I wanted to use, who, do you know I love the Andy Griffith show, right? And there's nobody in the world that can demonstrate a proud look like Barney Fife. It got him in more trouble. How many of you have ever watched those episodes? If you have not watched those episodes, go buy the videos. They are life lessons. It's not, it's not like entertainment. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give you two cents for the entertainment that they've got on television today. It just trashes family and it, it disparages people. Back then, they never did that. It was always about a life lesson and about reinforcing something. And Barney's pride consistently got Barney in trouble. And who was there trying to get Barney out of trouble? Andy, aren't you glad that God never gives up on you, uh, that he does not leave you or forsake you, but he said he'll go with you to the end of the world? A proud look, number one on the list. Now, if, look, if that's number one, that def the definition of proud there has got to be something pretty important. The word, the Hebrew word for proud there is room. Everybody say room. This is what it means, to actively raise and lift yourself up, promote and exalt yourself, breed worms. Now, I got to tell you, I was with that definition until it came down to breed worms. I thought, what in the world? Breed worms? I'm thinking, man, that's out of place. That's got to be a misprint. Something's wrong there. And then it dawned on me. You remember a story about a man in the book of Acts? His name was Herod. And Herod got up in front of a group of people, 
And the Bible said that he gave an oration. He started to, to talk to them. And all of a sudden, all the people, and here's the truth, is there were trouble between Herod and these people. And all the people started jumping up and shouting, oh, it's not the voice of a man. It's the voice of a God. They were feeding him a line. They were trying to play on his pride. They were feeding his ego. And he was accepting it all. Oh, it's not, it's not the voice of a man. It's a voice of God. It's a voice of God. And this is what the Bible said happened in Acts 12 and 23. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms. When you exalt yourself, you are breeding worms. Pride will eat you up from the inside out. And you don't even realize it. Got a brand new car. I just thank the Lord for it. Your car looks so, oh, thank you. That's so kind. It's just a blessing from God. Ah. Don't, don't, don't lean on my car. Get your hand off my, you're putting fingerprints on my car. Would you need a ride? Sure thing. I'll call somebody and see if they can go get you. When all of a sudden stuff becomes more important to us than God. It's pride at work. We're breeding worms. And if we're not careful, it will consume us. Everybody say, God help me. Proverbs 18 and 12 said, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. Before honor is humility. In both James 4 and 6 and 1 Peter 5 and 5, you find this phrase. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Everybody say it with me. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Resist there in the Greek comes from two words. The first word is anti. It means opposite. The second word is tasso, which means to assign to a certain position. Resist. This is what he's saying. God will always set himself opposite of the proud. God is opposed to the proud. The word proud there comes from two Greek words. The first one, hooper, which means to place over, be superior to, the very chiefest. The second word is phaino, which means to be seen, shine a light. When you combine proud, it means to feel superior to everyone else and shine a light on myself so I can be seen. And God said, I will oppose that. I will be the direct opposite to you. I will not let you in. Pride puts the focus on us even when we say God can't use me. The focus is still on me, and it's pride disguised. Now watch what he said. He resists the proud, but he does what? He gives grace to the humble. Everybody say grace. Grace there is charis. It means gratifying favor. It comes from a word that means to be full of cheer, that is calmly happy or well off. In other words, when grace is on you, you can say what Paul said, that I've learned that no matter st what state I'm in, therewith I am content. What's he saying? It's not about the stuff in my life that gives me happiness and joy. It's about God's favor over my life. Uh, do you understand? People don't get it when all of a sudden you can be struggling. You, live, you, you can live in a house that doesn't look like a mansion uh, and, and, and have contentment in your heart and be happy and other folks that seem to have everything are always frustrated and always Elvis Presley made a statement one time he said I'd give a million dollars if I could walk down the street and just be like everybody else Sometimes those things that we work so hard to achieve those things that we push ourselves toward end up becoming the prison that holds us captive 
when we keep our focus on God, it's no longer about us. He resists the proud, but there's something about humility and brokenness that draws God to us. He said he resists the proud, but he gives favor to who? To the humble. The word humble there in Greek is lowly. Everybody say lowly. Now let me explain this to you. That It doesn't mean to think less of yourself. It just means to think of yourself less. Let me say it again. When you're humble, you don't think less of yourself. You just think of yourself less. In other words, your focus isn't on you, it's on God. Your focus isn't turned toward me, it's turned toward him. You remember that song that came out years ago? Said something about, you know, it, that we've, you know, every time we're around we talk about you, you know, and we talk about you and, and we celebrate you. And he said, but every once in a while, I'd like to talk about me, oh my, oh my, oh me, oh my. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like he goes off on a rant on, you know, I just, let's just talk about me. There's an old Elvis, old Elvis, there's an old Red Skelton movie called The Southern Yankee. And, they, and, and he's, he's th- this lady's talking to him and he said, well, what have you been doing? He's, he's disguised himself as a, spy, and he sa- as a spy and he said, well, he said, I've I just been raising old Ned, you know, blowing up bridges and everything. He said, but let's not talk about dying. Let's talk about living. <laughs> let's, let's talk about, let's talk about me problem is is that when our focus is on me it can't be on him how many of you ever had trouble focusing on two things at the same time doesn't it just drive you nuts the news now what are you talking about pastor if you ever because somebody's talking to you and underneath they're giving a headline that's got nothing to do with what they're saying And I'm thinking, what's this about? They want me to focus on two things at the same time. Everybody say, make God the center. When there is humility, true humility in our life, and brokenness in us, not a, not a brokenness of that is irreparable but a brokenness before God it does something to the heart of God if you don't believe me just ask David David is who he's a man after God's own heart David did what he committed adultery why because when kings go to battle He stayed home. When all of a sudden we get it in our mind, well, I'm just going to kick back and relax for a while, you're in trouble. When our pursuit is not about God, I promise you it'll be about something else. And it becomes a play day for the devil. And so he focused on Bathsheba rather than God. And it led to adultery It led to a baby that would die. It led to a husband that was murdered. And it led to David nearly losing the kingdom. Let me share something with you about David. Because when the prophet Nathan spoke to David and he he lays it out and he exposes him, David isn't worried about losing the kingdom. David's focus isn't the kingdom David's focus becomes God. And he looks up to God and he said, God, have mercy on me and compassion according to your love and kindness. He he says to him, he said, Lord, come and heal these bones that you've broken. He said, my sin is before me day and night. I can't escape it. He's not trying to sidestep it. He's not trying to justify it. He's saying, come and heal me. Give me a clean heart. Have you ever done something before God and you knew it displeased God? If you're breathing in here, it's happened. 
What are you talking about? Because we don't get through life without disappointing God. But it's what we do when we disappoint God that makes all the difference. Saul blamed everybody else. Saul wouldn't accept responsibility. But David said, create within me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me, O God. Listen to what he says. He said, if all you wanted was offerings and burnt sacrifice, I'd give it to you. But I know you better than that. You're not after burnt offerings and sacrifice. But he said, a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, you will not despise. So what's the king do? The king humbles himself. Amen. You can have everything, but don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Years ago, uh, it was, we'd been on the evangelistic field, I'm not sure how long, and I'd been preaching. We'd had, we'd had great meetings and great revivals, but I started to feel something empty on the inside of me. Nobody knew it. I kept preaching, I kept praying for folks, but inside, I was hungry, and I didn't understand what was going on. I remember praying, God, what's happening? Why, why can't I feel you the way that I felt you before? What, what's going on? And God was showing me something. He was showing me that there are times that you have to walk by faith. There are times when you don't feel it, but yet you know it. And so you embrace it and continue to walk toward him anyway. How many of you ladies have ever not felt like cooking? Thanksgiving rolls around and you're thrilled about the 30 people that are getting ready to show up at your house. You wake up at 5 o'clock Thanksgiving morning. Oh, it's so wonderful. No, man, you got your sleeves rolled up. Your heart sometimes isn't in this. You're beating potatoes and looking at people's faces. <laughs> Baking pies and, and doing all the stuff. And, and you're, you're hot. You're tired. But when everybody sits at the table... It tastes just as good as if you'd had a wonderful day. Your circumstances do not determine whether or not God loves you, whether or not God is showing up for you. As a matter of fact, you can feel like your world is coming apart but you've got a promise that as long as you open the door, he's going to step in and sit down with you, and you're going to eat together. And what God, you have not tasted food until you taste what God cooks up for you. Come on, somebody. You, see, you, you just got no idea. Right now, you're chewing on jerky. You're trying to get juice out of leather. You're thinking, why is it so tough? Why is it so hard? Just keep on being faithful. You're going to find out that the rest of the cow is on the table, that the roast beef has already been laid out. You just have to work your way through some jerky to get to where the good stuff's at. How many of you have ever had to deal with some jerkies before? You don't give up the dream. You don't abandon the ship. You just deal with the jerky until you get to where he's at. Somebody say, I want him. The Bible, let, let, let me say this. When we humble ourselves, and I, I talk about it doing something not only to our heart, but it does something to the heart of God. This is what I want you to catch in, in the Scripture it says, when it talks about Ahab, it says, No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil 
in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. Ahab was the most wicked and evil king in Israel's history. That's what God said about him. So God sends a message to Ahab through Elijah. And he tells him, I'm getting ready to lower the boom on you. I'm going to rip this kingdom away from you. I'm going to wipe out your house. I'm going to wipe out your family from ruling in Israel. And you know what Ahab's response was to that? The Bible said that he humbled himself. He put on sackcloth, burlap. He wore it even to bed at night. He got down on his knees and he began to repent. And the Bible said that he, he, he went around mourning. He, he was sorry for all that he had done. The most evil king in all of Israel's history. And it takes some doing to gain that title. And when God saw him humble himself, he sent Elijah back to him and he said, I've seen how Ahab has humbled himself. Go and tell him that I'm not going to cause it to happen during his life, but it'll happen in the life of his family. Now hear me. The Bible says that whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. So when you do stuff, there's a payday for that. Now, God can come in and rescue you from that if you turn over to him completely. Ahab, at the end of his life, realizes what he's done. And though he escapes it, he's messed it up for his kids. How many of you have ever seen children that were living out their parents' lives? You know what I'm talking about? Let me give you this example as a prime example. Somebody's on drugs carrying a baby, and the baby enters the world addicted to heroin. How's that possible? Because of what the parent was doing. So if we're going to rescue our families, we can't wait to the end of our lives to try and do it. Turn around, look at your neighbor, and say, right now. It starts right now. Listen to this scripture. 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. Then if my people who are called by my name will what? will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and restore their land. I wonder if you ever noticed that there is steps in the scripture. And the first step to getting God to hear us is to humble ourselves. Amen. Prayer doesn't matter until you humble your heart. Amen. He won't hear it. He won't answer it. Israel had been doing it all along. They'd been praying. He said, man, he said, I'm not listening to you. He said, all that stuff. He said, your sacrifices are like a dead dog to me. What's he saying? This has never been about you sacrificing the right stuff. This has been about your heart concerning me. It's been about your heart turning toward me. And so the first step, he says, and this will heal a nation. But the first step is humble yourself. Amen. Everybody say humble. I'm so proud to be humble. Doesn't quite work, does it? The disciples on more than one occasion had been jockeying for position in the kingdom, over and arguing over what? who would be the greatest in the kingdom. So Jesus has heard this. Now, I, I want you to pick up something because this, it, it's the last supper that the disciples 
are ever going to have with Jesus. Everybody say the very last one. And during that supper, he decides to give an illustrated sermon. Everybody say an illustrated sermon. Now, this is what I want you to get because I think people miss this. This is the very last message those disciples are ever going to hear together. It's the last time that they're ever all together. And Jesus gives this message. Now, doesn't it stand to reason if this is the last time you're going to have a group of people together that you've invested your life in, that you're going to give them something very important? And this is what he does. The Bible said that after the dinner was over that he took a towel and he put it around himself, and he starts washing the disciples' feet. Let me borrow you there, brother, right there, in the blue. Yeah, come on up. Go ahead and kick your shoes off. It's a little late if you got holes in your socks. <laughs> the last boy that was up here had on two different socks. Go ahead and take your shoes off. I mean, take your feet off. I mean, take your socks off. I'll get it here. <laughs> In a second. See, that's like I'd, I'd, I'd prefer he take his feet off so I could just have him dip it in water and I wouldn't have to touch him. Are, is anybody in this house today? Go ahead and have a, have a, oh, no, you're good right where you're at. Let me move for you. So Jesus gets down. Now, there's some things I want you to notice here that I think sometimes slip by us. Jesus gets down and he starts washing the feet of the disciples. Everybody say he's washing their feet. Does anything strike you strange with that? You know what strikes me strange? Is Peter is the first one that says, you're not going to wash my feet. Every other disciple let him. Every other disciple let the king of kings take the lowest possible position of a servant. Oh, you want to wash my Go ahead. Help yourself. God. They are kind of stinky. They let him. There's never any hold back. There's never any pushback. There's never any, well, hey, you know, you shouldn't be washing my feet. I ought to be washing your feet. None of that until Peter steps up. The amazing thing isn't that Peter rejects it. The amazing thing is the others allowed him to. It's like that there's no thought of it, no concern of it. Sometimes we just take God for granted. We just think God's supposed to do everything for us. I remember one time, stay there, I'll be back. I remember one time I, was, I had a mom come to me and she said, I need you to talk to my boy Eddie. I said, what's wrong? I'm sorry, what wasn't Eddie. His name was Donnie. He said, talk to my boy Donnie. He said, I, I said, what's wrong? He said, well, I tell him to take out the trash. And he, he looked at me and he said, well, Jesus is everywhere, right? And I said, yes. He said, well, let Jesus pack out the trash. That's what he told him, his mom. His mom didn't know what to do. So I went and had a heart-to-heart -heart talk with Donnie. I said, Donnie, I said, I, I heard you, what you said to your mom. I said, get up off your seat and pack out that trash and quit trying to make Jesus your chore boy. He knew better. Somebody say, I know better. How many of you ever wanted to just see what you could get away with? It started when you were born. We got a beautiful 16-month 18 months, she grew two months. We got a beautiful 18-month baby girl, Vivian. She is beautiful. They say she looks like her grandpa. <laughs> Watch out, pride. When you take something from Vivian, if, if, if you say, wait just a minute, let, let me get you ready so you can eat, and, and you take something away from her, she, at 18 months, she was doing this when she was 16 months. She's probably doing this when she was four months. But at, at, at 16 months, she's going, mm. <laughs> she can't talk yet. She's getting pawpaw out now. I, was, I had to wait forever for that girl to say pawpaw. 
She said everybody's name but mine. And I kept telling her, say, Papa, Papa. The first time she called my name, she went, Papa. It's worth waiting for, folks. I'm telling you what God has prepared for you is worth waiting for. Vivian, I'm I'm coming. Vivian didn't want to wait. She was satisfied with bits and pieces when she could have the full meal. She was satisfied with a cut grape or a, a, a piece of burrito. We, were, we had my daughter's birthday at the house Friday night, and, and Vivian came in, and, and they started picking off little pieces of burrito and giving it to her before supper. And, she, you know, and she's trying to get to the burrito. But when she got set down in that plate or by that plate, friend, she wasn't interested in bits and pieces. That little 18-month-year-old girl grabbed half of that burrito, had it in her hand, and wasn't nobody taking it from her. Why do we keep allowing the devil to content us with bits and pieces. When God said, I want to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemy. So all these guys let Jesus do it. Peter steps up, and when Peter comes up, Peter says, you can wash my feet? I don't think so. And the Lord looked at me and said, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you'll understand later. It's your first key that there's something more going on here than just washing feet. He said, you don't understand. What is there to understand about washing feet? But Jesus looked at him and said, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you'll understand later. And he said, Lord, he said, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus looked at him and said, well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you've got no part with me. Peter looked at him and said, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. And now comes one of the lessons. He said, Peter, he said, when you've bathed, you don't need to be washed all over again except for your feet. He bends down. Let me have the other one. He bends down. And he begins to wash the feet of a man that denied him. And he knows it's going to happen. But Peter doesn't know. This is what he's doing. He's saying, Peter, these feet are getting ready to get you in trouble. They're going to take you someplace you shouldn't go. But I'm telling you before it happens that I forgive you, that I cleanse you, that I wash you. He washed Peter's feet that denied him. He washed Judas's feet who betrayed him. Do you understand that Judas walked away from forgiveness? It was offered to him, but he walked away from it. And he, walked, he washed the feet of the other 10 that all forsook him. Everybody left him, but he washed their feet. Give him a hand, would you? What's he doing? Look at this, look at this. In John, the 13th chapter, in the 12th verse, this is what Jesus said, do you understand what I've done for you? He gets up from this, Peter's the only one that objected to him washing. And then when he tells Peter, if I don't wash, you're not a part. So he washed everybody's feet and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right in doing so, for that's who I am. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet... You ought to wash one another's feet as well. For I gave you this as an example so that you should do in turn as I did to you. In that simple act of washing feet, Jesus taught them about humility, 
servanthood, forgiveness, and love. The king of kings took on the lowest task of the, the, he took on the task of the lowest servant. He humbled himself before them to serve them, and he loved them enough to forgive them. Then he instructed them to do the same. Would you stand with me? Pride puts self at the center of our focus and attention. But a humble heart yearns for God and our whole world is centered on Him. If I were to ask you this question today, what we've already dealt with, have you ever been proud? Have you ever let pride drive your car? Have you ever allowed it to rule your life, even if it's just for a moment? I can promise you this, if pride is driving your car, you're getting further and further away from God all the time. But what about this? What about, has anyone ever hurt you? Has everyone any has anyone ever said or did something to you that hurts you and you nurse the hurt instead of doing what Jesus did for you He washed you He served you He was the king of kings and he humbled himself and was obedient to the death on the cross. He looked at his disciples and he said, no man's taking my, my life away from me. I'm laying it down. I'm gonna pick it back up, this promise I've received from my father. When they come after him in the garden and they say, he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. His response is, I am he. And with his words, he lays that entire Roman army on their back. They could not have taken him if he had not humbled himself to the obedience of death on the cross. He forgave us. The same people that are crucifying him he looks out over them and says, Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Friend, I don't know if I could do that. I'm just being honest with you. I don't, I don't know. I might be saying, God, just burn them to a crisp. Because when you're responding out of pain, hurt people hurt people. But if we can get the focus off of us and get it on Him, if we could make it not about me, but Him, I'm persuaded that we would change the world. Amen. How many of you are ready to change your world? You really believe that? Oh, I believe that. I had a pastor friend, and this guy hated him. He told me, he said, I, he, he drove out of the way to drive by his house every day on his way home. He said a lot of times the guy would be out in the yard, and he'd blow his horn and wave at him and smile real big. God turned his back, wouldn't even look at him. He just kept doing it week after week after week. One day he came home and he told his wife, he said, I want you to make a pie. He said, make a pie? He said, yeah. He said, I want to take it to that guy over there. So he goes by and this time he honks the horn and he gets out of the car, walks up to him. I hope you like apple pie. I had my wife make you one. And he said, bless you, brother. Love you, man. Left. Guy just stood there with his mouth dropped open. Come Sunday morning, 
the guy was in church. They didn't even get to the altar call. He just came running to the front and he looked up at him and he, with tears in his eyes, said, Preacher, I tried to hate you, but you wouldn't let me. And he gave his heart to God. It's a humble hand that changes the world. I want you to get this. It was not a strong hand that changed the world. Not a mighty hand that changed the world. Because strong and mighty makes us think of conquerors and armies. But it was a humble hand that changed the world. Because he humbled himself and was obedient to the death on the cross. How about it? Are you ready to say, God, I don't want this to be about me anymore. I want it to be all about you. If you're ready to say, Jesus, I want you to be the center of my world. I want you to move to the front of this building right now. I want you to hear me as you're coming. Your greatest evangelistic tool isn't the message you share. It isn't the song you sing. It isn't how many scriptures you can spit out. It's your ability to show the love of God. Everybody say the love of God. Here's what you got to get a hold of because we get this messed up. We think love means that I go along with everything that you say and everything you want. No, because five-year-olds want to play with fire. Because 10-year-olds don't want to go to school. Because teenagers want to stay out at all hours of the night and have no rules that's not love love doesn't let you just run wild love brings you in holds on to you and tells you about a God that loved you so much that he'd rather die for you than live without you that my friend is love you ready to love someone today if you are just I, you can come on up. I'm not going to bite you. Come on. Just come on in here. Just come on up. I looked over there, man. Everybody standing back made me feel like I had to plague. <laughs> just, just go ahead and come on down this way, guys. Just come on down. Pride says God can't use me. It's a disguised pride. But a humble heart will say, here I am, God, send me. I'm telling you, you don't understand what God can do in your life. I promise you, I'm telling you the truth today. I've walked that road. I know that battle. I know what it's like. It almost kept me from doing any mission work at all. Who am I? I can't go until all of a sudden it dawned on me. I'm telling God that he's not big enough to use me. And then I realized, God, here I am. Send me. And it changed the lives of hundreds. Not because of me, but because of him. You need to expand your world. Get your vision bigger and say, here I am, God. Stretch those hands up right now. Here I am, God. Say this with me, Lord. It's not about me, it's all about you. And today, I choose to make you the center of my world. Come on and give my hand clap of praise in this house. Yes, Lord. You get your
stretch my hand out to God to lift me up and my other hand to another to help them up. I've become a conduit that God can flow through. Pastor, what if, what if they reject it? Just keep loving them. Just keep loving them. There was a dog, Debbie used to, Debbie, we walked out through the country and when Debbie and Bethany walked out, this boxer went running out to them and man acted like they were going to eat them alive. When I walked with her, the boxer ran out, started to bark and I turned around and looked at him and he just stopped. And he started wagging his tail, Debbie called to him and he started wagging his tail. And he finally came up close enough that we could pet him. And the truth was, is I didn't trust him yet. I'm just being honest with you. But Debbie was reaching out to him. She's always the one that's gonna pet you first. So she was reaching out to him. We went by the other day, or this week, and that dog came running out and wagging that tail and I looked at Debbie I said is that the same dog that that acted like it was going to eat you up and she said yeah that's the same one his whole disposition's changed now I'm telling you now, now mark my word I said this for a reason I'm telling you that when people reject you and they act like they want to bite your head off just keep loving them just keep loving them because sooner or later they're going to start warming up to you now they may not wag their tail but they're going to begin to reach out for you because the reason they're so angry and the reason that they're so aggressive is because they're hurting and they feel lost and alone you my friend are God's hands let him use those hands for his glory. Amen. 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 Stretch your hands to heaven with me right now. Neighbor day's coming up. Don't, don't, don't just make it a simple going over and knocking on the door and say, hey, neighbor, you want to go to church with me? Take them a pie. Just, just, just let them know. Communicate. Care for them. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Just communicate love to them. And as you communicate that, you're going to change their world. Amen. Are you ready? Stretch it. Come here just a second, would you? Come up here. I don't know what your name is. I just need to share this with you. I was looking at you, and as I looked at you, there's been a transition in your life. And, and it's like God has got you on a journey. And it's a part of you so excited about this but in other parts a little nervous about you know I don't know where this is going and I but it's okay it's okay what's your name Travis church would you just stretch your hand toward Travis today I believe let, let, let me let me share this with you God never judges you at your lowest moment and he never judges you at your highest moment what he does is he reaches into your heart and says I just want you to walk it with out with me Travis just take it a day at a time and walk it with me. And that's where you're at right now. I don't want you to look back to the lows anymore. I just want you to keep walking it out. Are you ready for it? Stretch those hands to heaven with me. Father, I thank you for what you're doing for Travis today. by the hand you can you can hold more than one hand but just get someone by the hand I want you to look at them and you may have to do this two or three times depending on how many people are around you but I want you to look 
look that individual in the eye and this is what I want you to say to them I want you to say that God believes in you would you say that with me God believes in you and I believe in you too and and here's the good news everybody say it with me here's the good news your whole world's getting ready to change because your focus you're getting ready to what's that called the Hubble telescope you're getting ready to zoom in on God like you've never zoomed in on God before you're going to see him in ways you never thought possible he's going to make himself known to you in ways you never dreamed of and you're going to find yourself waking up in the middle of the night going okay God I'm ready just go ahead and talk to me for a while just go ahead and speak to me right here right now in Jesus name raise those hands father I thank you Lord for this congregation made them the head and not the tail above and not beneath and God you are using them for your glory in Jesus name give my hand clap of praise in this house